Welcome to life on earth. Welcome to life on earth. Welcome to life on earth. Well, hello, you good people, and welcome to life on earth. Thank you for joining me. Today is Thursday, the ninth. Excuse me, the seventh of the ninth. The seventh of the ninth sounds like a Star Trek reference. The seventh day of September, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. I just do not know. Okay, so last week on the show, thank you for joining us. A well-attended show, and it was a good one. I enjoyed having Amy Nacer join me for an episode on when the hero and the villain are the same guy. What do you do when your heroes are mixed cases? And Amy and I continued the conversation on Sunday. I hope some of you joined us for five minutes with Robert and Amy Nacer at facebook.com slash Robert Nacer, youtube.com slash Robert Nacer. You know where to find all this stuff. And on that tip, excuse me, on that show, I wrapped it all up, condensed it all down to five tips. Five tips for managing your heroes, including when they are a mixed case. And the number one three, number one three, no, I need more coffee. The number three tip that I gave, which could well have been the number one tip, was this. You should be able to explain. Now, I don't know, that makes it sound like justifying itself yourself but no for your own sake for your own clarity you should be able to explain why your heroes are your heroes and not be taken aback when people with different evaluations and value hierarchies don't agree you know disagreement in specific concrete values is not an assault on your moral stature so let them disagree as long as you're rational that's no chip off your shoulder and so that led to a review of Marianne Surrey's Copper Pot story, the bottom line of which is you have got to stand up for your values, even when your knowledge or certainty are not fully complete. Uh, let me just bring up an extra copy of my show notes here. Ah, oh, good. Now, before this episode today on the Ayn Rand Center UK channel, in fact, let me do this. We are on the Ayn Rand Center UK channel. Ayn Rand Center UK this network of objectivists, fans of Ayn Rand, people applying her philosophy of objectivism to their lives. This is where the show is. Shows this week have been great. You know, we've got, that, got a 10-show-a-week schedule just for the, the Daily Objective and the reality show, in addition to all of the other programming and the study materials. Folks, if you're not a member, if you're not a member of the Ayn Rand Center UK, click that link at the top of the chat or go to aynrandcenter.co.uk and click membership, sign up, become a member. You are making shows like this, including all the behind the scenes. You don't see it behind the scenes because it's off camera. Production work that is going on to make these things happen. Those of you who contribute with your super chats, who are members, who are members of the YouTube channel as well, thank you. You are making this happen. Uh, in that regard, I need to put a huge thank you out to Race Jacobson, Thank you for joining the YouTube channel. You are now a member. That is cool to see. <laughs> Robin and Equal to Reality are in. I can see their stars, which says they are members of the Ayn Rand channel. Robin, of course, using those custom emoji little fun things that you get access to, in addition to the valuable stuff that you get access to when you become a member of the YouTube channel. You can watch the YouTube feeds of the study groups. When you become a member of the ARC UK, you can participate in those study groups enough promo. Maybe I'll do a quick one before we wrap up, but I would love to see a super chat or two. Hit that dollar sign at the bottom of the chat. Make your questions, your comments stand out. They certainly deserve to do that. 
and any dollars, pounds, shekels that you put in support the ARS UK. Enough of that. Again, discussion about heroes, mixed case heroes, Marianne Surrey's copper pot story. Link to that, incidentally, is at my show notes, robertnaser.com slash show notes. Before this episode today, announced as, I don't know, the power, the leverage, the epistemological clarity, the strategic value, the style, and the dignity, the surprising truths, and the simple peace of mind that flow from knowing what you don't know. Well, that was promising kind of a lot. We'll see if I deliver on that, but I love that Dr. Megan Ribbons, Dr. Ribbons, who has been a participant on the reality show on the Ayn Rand Center UK, she shared a comment, my favorite quotation from my grad advisor, and this is her graduate advisor who made this, made this, gave her this quote, the three most important words in the English language are, I love you. The second three most important words are, I don't know. I love, love, love that. That is all kinds of awesome. And a few of those kinds are our topic today. Ah, I see Apollo Zeus is in the chat as well. I want to see who's going to be the first of you to put in a super chat. Throw a few dollars in the chat there for the good people at the ARC UK. Listen, everything is finite. You know, as objectivists, or even as Aristotelians, we know this philosophically. It's an aspect of the law of identity. Everything is finite. And that includes the breadth of my and, and your knowledge. I know what I know. And that's all that I know. But I do know what I know. Now, that's what I would normally emphasize here. We've talked about this before. I do know what I know. And the finite nature of consciousness doesn't diminish that. I know what I know. Certainty is possible. But what about, what about the rest of it? What about what I don't know? What about what you don't know? See, I don't know. I don't know is motivating. See, if you don't know, but you could, you should, you need to for some reason, you want to. In that case, I don't know is a call to action. That's powerful stuff. And then there's the case of what you don't know. Well, there's the case of what you don't know and what you have no reason to know, no desire to know. You know, the old joke, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know, and I don't care. There's a lot of stuff I have no reason to know. Now, in a Forbes essay on the value of I don't know, the writer asks, well, do you value possessing knowledge over making a considered decision? It's a very business writer kind of question. Well, there's a lot to say here. But most important is the integration of facts and values. Fact and value, that rings uh, true to me here. And the foolhardiness of false bravado. One of the things I want to warn you against. The real question is, what is more important? The reality or the appearance of knowing more than you do? And there's a lot I can know. But everything is finite. Don Watkins, 
Don Watkins in some of his recent posts following the release at Ocon of his new volume, Effective Egoism. Is that a great name? Effective Egoism. You know, he's fighting, among other things, the effective altruism movement. Will McCaskill's, well, we've done whole shows on that. Look up my episode on long-termism. But Don Watkins has been responding on X slash Twitter, whatever Musk is calling it this week, to some of the folks over at the Daily Wire, including Ben Shapiro, you know, and Andrew Clavin and Matt Walsh and the whole goofy bunch over there. And they've been surprisingly explicit lately in declaring only religion provides a source for morality, right and wrong. You know, they fall into that old notion of the God-shaped hole in our hearts. You know, the God-shaped hole is that notion that there is, or, you know, there feels like there is a missing piece of us, a piece of our consciousness, of our worldview, which can only be filled by God, only be filled by religion, religious belief. This goes back to Blaise Pascal. 1670, Blaise Pascal's book, Pensees, in which Pascal writes, and I'm not picking on Blaise Pascal, he was wicked smart, but his wager doesn't hold. And he wrote at the time, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. You feeling any emptiness in your life? That's because you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart. Uh, that was not Pascal, close quote Pascal. <laughs> this God-shaped hole. Well, the God-shaped hole is really a causality-shaped hole. And Pascal and Shapiro and Clavin and Walsh, they don't want to fill that hole with well, I don't know. It seems much more comfortable to fill it with something, anything, presumably everything, or at least the creator of everything. Now, happily, we have been filling that hole. We've been filling that hole in with truth for centuries. We've explained the weather and the tides and the eclipses and the seasons and natural beauties and natural disasters the wonders and the calamities, which used to leave us both awed and terrified and filled with quite a lot of God-shaped hole. And happily, we filled quite a lot of the hole in with science. And there was still a big gap to fill. The so-called God of the gaps, you know, fills those holes. But the God of the gaps is getting smaller because the gaps are getting smaller. But he still had a place with at least the credulous. But Ayn Rand has filled quite a lot of that remaining space up very nicely by providing a reason-based philosophy, you know, including this worldly metaphysics 
and an understandable, reliable epistemology and a rational ethical system and a proper political understanding and even, even a well-grounded aesthetics. Damn. In his chapter on reason, Leonard Peikoff, well, we'll get to that in a moment, but I got to give a shout out to Apollo Zeus, who did give us our first super chat of the episode. He says, how about that one, Naser? I say, how about it? Pretty damn good. Thank you for that. Couple pounds for the ARC UK. Well-earned, well-deserved, and well-offered by Mr. Zeus. So thank you for that. In his chapter on reason, in the big book, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand by Leonard Peikoff. And he discussed this in his lecture, Certainty and Happiness, which is linked to uh, in my show notes, well, the updated show notes that I'll put in after the show. Leonard Peikoff discusses the status of any given item of knowledge in any given person. And he takes us through the progression, the progression of knowing, you know, from something that is possible to something that is probable to something that is certain. And he writes this, <laughs> equal to reality is in with two pounds. Thank you for that. He says, I'll buy that for a dollar or two. Thank you, equal to reality. That is very cool. You have a competition now because you're, you're, you're neck and neck. You're equal at two pounds a piece. I would never say that just to encourage more contributions in such a cheap and obvious manner. But, you know, you do as you wish. Leonard Peikoff writes, objectivism's refutation of theism, to take another example, is not a case of proving a negative in the sense vetoed by the onus of proof principle. Ayn Rand does not start with a zero and then seek to discover evidence of God's non-existence. She starts with reality, i.e. with philosophically known fact, and then denies a claim that clashes with it. Nor, as he has made clear, he says, does she expect any such refutation to be accepted by apostles of the arbitrary? Now, in other words, people who think this way, they're not going to be convinced this way. These individuals will merely reformulate the claim so as to protect it from evidence and then, ins and then insist again, will prove that this is not so. So to this demand, there's only one valid response. I refuse to even accept such a task. An assertion outside the realm of cognition can impose no cognitive responsibility on a rational mind, neither of proof nor of disproof. The arbitrary is not open to either. It simply cannot be cognitively processed. The proper treatment of such an aberration is to refrain from sanctioning it by argument or discussion. Obviously, unquote Leonard Figoff, this goes a lot wider, more broadly than just religion. And Leonard Peikoff goes on to dis dismiss a claim as arbitrary. It's not the equivalent of pleading ignorance or confessing indecision or suspending judgment. It's not the same as saying, I don't know, or I haven't made up my mind, or I have no opinion. These responses presuppose that an issue has a connection to human cognition. They presuppose that there is some evidence pertaining to the issue and therefore that it is legitimate to consider, even though one may be unable for various reasons to untangle it. For example, if the field is specialized, 
a given individual may not have the time to study the evidence, even though it is clear and abundant, or the data may be so evenly balanced or so fragmentary and ambiguous, for instance, in regard to judging a certain person's character, that one simply can't decide what conclusion is warranted. In such cases, I don't know, is an honest and appropriate statement. Unquote Leonard Peikoff. I would even go a step further. I, I, you know, sometimes wondered what's the difference between, well, I believe and I know. Well, that's the difference. Some people are willing to believe things that they don't know, that they have no evidence for. It's strange, but true. And this is why objectivists are atheists, not agnostics. I don't know doesn't apply when there is nothing to know, no valid evidence for a supposition at all. So point is, from objectivism, the philosophy of Ayn Rand, sometimes the right answer is, the correct answer is, the reality of the fact is, I don't know. Now, here's the big point I want to make, or one of them. Especially to younger folks, but took me a while to learn this too, or at least to apply it. I've got to acknowledge now, first off, there may be people who will hold, I don't know, against you. There are people who will jump all over. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you don't know. Well, then whatever I'm saying must be right. There are people who will jump all over you for that. And you've probably met them. They, most of them exist in a place called the internet or all over modern college campuses. And hey, I admit it, some of those kind of people, they might be better persuaded by false epistemological bravado. But if they are, they're probably hardly worth persuading. But still, such people do exist and denying it doesn't help matters. In this regard, I recommend two strategies two strategies for you. The first one is, I don't know, but what I do know is, and follow with what you do know that's relevant. The second is, I don't know, and neither do you. If you're dealing with the kind of people who will take, I don't know, assuming that's the reality, as a sign of weakness or as an opportunity for them to put forward something that also isn't true. Again, the first one, I don't know, but what I do know is, and the second, I don't know, but neither do you. But to be able to say, I don't know, period, confidently, without self-consciousness, that is a bold move. Chicks dig it. Okay, I might be exaggerating. But, you know, right along with other confidence builders, like, like sending text messages in complete sentences or pausing between phrases, you know, without feeling the need to fill the silence. Self-confident men and women aren't afraid to let people get a word in edgewise. Being willing to state the truth about your epistemological status even when the reality is, yeah, I don't know. 
that's hot. I mean, okay, I'm joking a little. Where that kind of clarity and confidence is most powerful is not in trying to impress other people or win arguments. Where that kind of clarity and confidence is most powerful is in your own thought and behavior for your own sake. And if you think you can fake it, you can suggest more confidence that you've got, but in your own mind, keep track. Oh yeah, I actually don't know and I need to look that up later or learn more or just not overstate myself. And sorry, it doesn't work that way. Where that kind of clarity and confidence is most powerful is in your own thought and behavior. You know, just as you've got to know, everybody should know how to win with grace and lose with dignity. You've also got to know how to state confidently and unreservedly when you know something and when you don't. You've got to be able to say that when you know something, you know it, and when you don't, you don't. I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. That's power. That's self-esteem. That's a small, but properly understood, a significant part of mastery. Mastery over life on earth.